Jesus forgave the people who nailed him to the cross of Calvary, and he can forgive you too. Here's Pastor John Randall. He can forgive you. The pain that you've caused people because of your poor decisions, because of your sin against them, God says, I can forgive you. Whatever you've done, you might have come in here today and the weight of your guilt and condemnation is almost unbearable. Listen, you need to hear the prayer of Jesus from the cross to the Father. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God wants to forgive you. God wants to take that burden away. If you will turn from your sin, if you will repent, you can be forgiven. We're so accustomed to seeing bridges these days that we no longer marvel at them. It's believed that the first bridge was erected way back in 2650 BC across the Nile River. However, the most important bridge was built in AD 30 at Golgotha, where Jesus on the cross bridged the gulf between man and God. Welcome to A Daily Walk as we reach the climax of our journey through the book of Luke. Pastor John Randall is here now to have us consider the price that was paid on our behalf by a loving savior nearly 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary. Luke's account is in chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. For three and a half years, Jesus preached the message of the kingdom of God to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. However, when he came to his own, they did not receive him. Although he was innocent, he was despised, he was rejected, and condemned to die. Following his betrayal in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was arrested and taken to the home of Annas, who was the former high priest. Then he was taken to stand before Annas' son-in-law, Caiaphas, who was the high priest. And within his preliminary trial before the Sanhedrin, false witnesses were brought to testify against Jesus, but none of their testimonies were truthful. Jesus was then placed under oath before God and was asked the question if he was the Christ, the Son of God. And in that moment, Jesus declared a truth that would seal his fate when he said, it is as you say, and nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. 
The Bible says at that moment, the high priest tore his robe and cried out blasphemy and condemned Jesus to death. Jesus was then blindfolded and beaten mercilessly. He was spit upon and he had his beard plucked out of his face. And then he was taken in the early part of the morning to stand before the Roman governor, whose name was Pontius Pilate. As Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate declared him to be innocent. Jesus was then taken to stand before King Herod, and again, he was found innocent. Then an order was given by Pilate to have Jesus scourged. But even after Jesus had been scourged without cause, the people demanded that a murderer named Barabbas be released and Jesus be crucified. Pilate was unable to satisfy the crowd. He then yielded to the pressures and to the demands of the people and he sentenced Jesus to die. Jesus was then led to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary. And there he was crucified. When Jesus was lifted up on the cross, the religious leaders began to mock him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. The soldiers also mocked him saying, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. One of the two thieves said, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But what Jesus' enemies did not understand was that if he saved himself, he could not save the world. If Jesus had saved himself, then we would be lost. As Jesus was dying upon the cross, he made seven statements as he was dying. The first is found here in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Someone referred to this first statement that Jesus made as, quote, the most awe-inspiring of all seven statements. This was a prayer of Jesus to the Father, uttered in a moment of excruciating pain on behalf of those who were causing him the pain. This example of Jesus has moved the hearts of millions. It has become the ideal which has taught countless sufferers not to yield to blind retaliation, but to seek good even of their enemies. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen, friend, I don't know what sins that you have committed against God, but here's one thing I do know. He can forgive you. He can forgive you. The pain that you've caused people because of your poor decisions, because of your sin against them, God says, I can forgive you. Whatever you've done, you might have come in here today and the weight of your guilt and condemnation is almost unbearable. Listen, you need to hear the prayer of Jesus from the cross to the Father. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God wants to forgive you. God wants to take that burden away. If you will turn from your sin, if you will repent, you can be forgiven and you can be free for whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Jesus then made a second statement from the cross here in Luke chapter 23, found in verses 39 through 43, when he said, today you will be with me in paradise All four gospel accounts refer to two thieves crucified alongside of Jesus. These men were no doubt involved in revolutionary activity against Rome. Probably murderers, insurrectionists, thieves. They deserve to die. But the interesting thing I want to point out to you is in Matthew chapter 27 verse 44, it says that even the robbers, plural, 
who were crucified with him reviled him, saying the same thing. Yet in Luke's gospel, it says one of them was defending Jesus and rebuking the other. I point this out to say that they were both, when they were crucified, were reviling Jesus, but something happened. It says one was defending Jesus. Is that a contradiction? No, that's not a contradiction. That's a conversion. One man is watching Jesus die. He is hearing Jesus pray the things that he prays to, for people to be forgiven, and his heart begins to change. And as his fellow robber is, is hurling accusations and blasphemous words against Jesus, he defends him and tells him, listen, we're here because we deserve to die. This man is innocent. And then he asks Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom, calls him Lord. A conversion happens at the last moment of this man's life. He comes to faith in Christ. And I want you to make note of the fact that the thief did not ask to be in the kingdom. He knew that he was unworthy to be there. He just asked Jesus to remember him when he came into the kingdom. And Jesus said to him probably something that he did not expect. He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. What an example of the mercy and grace of God in salvation as this man was saved right before his death. He had no good works to parade before God. There was nothing he could do. Furthermore, he couldn't get off the cross and be baptized. Make note of that. Here he is there just crying out. The only thing he could do is Jesus saved me. And Jesus honored that cry of his heart. And we will see this man in glory when we get there. It was a, as some have called, a deathbed conversion. But let me encourage you today not to wait for some deathbed conversion, for you may never have that opportunity. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. This isn't something you put off. Oh, I'll get around to it. And at that moment, right before I go and I flatline, I'll pray a prayer, Lord, save me, and I'll get in right at the end. Until then, I'm going to live, you know, in sin. And, but, you know, there'll come a day when I'll, you may never have that luxury if you consider it to be one. Listen, the Bible records only one deathbed conversion. And I believe that is so no one would despair, but only one so that no one would presume do you understand? There's, there's one guy recorded who right before he goes into heaven prays to receive Christ. But that's not the norm, friend. Jesus calls people to follow him, calls them to repent, and it's important not to put off salvation, but to respond today to the good news, to the love of God, and be saved. Although Luke does not record the next statement, the third statement from the cross, John's gospel does. In John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, the third statement Jesus makes from his cross is directed toward his mother and to John, his disciple. It says this, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her as his own or took her to his own home. You remember in Luke chapter two, that when Mary and Joseph, after Jesus had been born, they took him to the temple. And while they were there, they were introduced to a man whose name was Simeon. Simeon had been told by the Lord that before he died, he would see the Messiah and he was waiting and as Mary came in holding Jesus in her arms, you remember Simeon takes hold of the child and he began to prophetically speak over Jesus and a word to Mary as well. Here is what he said. 
He blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. As Mary is now standing before the cross, looking at Jesus dying in her place for her sins, friend, and the sins of the world, she is broken, no doubt, weeping, And Jesus, being mindful of her need, speaks to John, his apostle, and says, take care of my mom. And he says to his mother, mom, John's going to take care of you. As she's standing there, the sword that Simeon spoke of, it's piercing her own soul. She's feeling the pain and the agony in that moment. And yet in Jesus' suffering, he still is concerned about those whom he loves and takes care of them. While Jesus was dying on the cross, Luke then records a miraculous phenomenon in creation that took place. Look at what it says in verse 44 of chapter 23. Now it was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. While Jesus hung upon the cross dying, it says darkness was over all the earth. This was not a solar eclipse, but rather a miracle. At the sixth hour, which would be 12 noon, until the ninth hour, which would have been 3 p.m., there was darkness. Someone had pointed out that it was as if all of creation at this moment was mourning over the death of Jesus. Perhaps this was a fulfillment of the prophetic scripture spoken by Amos in Amos chapter 8 verse 9 when Amos said, it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. As Jesus, the light of the world, is dying. His light will temporarily be extinguished and darkness would be upon the earth. You remember when Jesus was ministering, he said to his disciples, I must work while it is day for night is coming when no man can work. When Jesus was taken in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, this is your hour, the hour of darkness. And Jesus, as he was dying, it became dark for three hours. Then Jesus made a fourth statement from the cross in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. And it reads this way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words that Jesus spoke are found in Psalm 22, verse one, which is a messianic prophetic Psalm concerning the death of Jesus written a thousand years before Jesus was ever born. And in that Psalm, it even predicts the way in which Jesus would die by means of crucifixion before it was ever invented. And here is Jesus saying Psalm 22, verse one, as if to say he is the fulfillment of what had been predicted. He's the fulfillment of this biblical prophecy. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there's something even more to it than that. There's something that took place upon the cross in that moment that we cannot fully comprehend in this life. Up to this point, Jesus had not been separated from his father. But as the sin of the world is being placed upon him, the father could not look upon sin. And in that moment, Jesus was forsaken. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's possible 
at some moment on the cross when Jesus became sin on our behalf, that God the Father, in a sense, turned his back on the Son. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 18 says that God is too pure to look upon evil. And as Jesus is taking on the sins of the world, Jesus bearing the sins in his body on the tree of Calvary, the Father turns away. And at that time, Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One thing's for sure. We do not have the capacity to fully appreciate the utterly horrific experience of having the sins of the world placed upon Jesus as he hung there in excruciating pain from the cross. The physical pain is one thing in and of itself, but the spiritual pain was even greater. I believe that is why when we get to heaven, we will understand exactly what it meant for Jesus to come and to take our place. And any crown that we have received, any reward that we have been given, we will simply throw it down at the feet of Jesus and declare worthy is the lamb that was slain. Because Jesus was forsaken, you never have to be forsaken. He was already forsaken so that you could be received. As he continued to die upon the cross, Jesus then uttered a fifth statement from the cross recorded in John Chapter 19, verse 20, and he said this, I thirst, I thirst. In John chapter four, you remember that Jesus made it a priority to pass through the area of Samaria with his disciples. And as he was making his way through Samaria, he came to a well and there was a woman there. And Jesus began to engage in a conversation with her, asking her for a drink. She was somewhat surprised at this request because she was a Samaritan woman and he was a Jew and a teacher. But you remember Jesus told this woman, he said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus was not talking about something physical. He was talking about something spiritual. This woman did not understand what he was saying. But in essence, Jesus was saying, listen, you can drink from this well, or you can drink from the well that she was currently drinking from. She had been in five relationships with men that were not her husband, and the man that she was living with at that present time was not her husband. And Jesus pointed this out. This woman was empty. She had been drinking from this well, and she was not satisfied. And thus Jesus said, if you drink from this well, you'll thirst again. But the water that I will give you, if you will drink from it, you'll never thirst again. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, that Jesus stood up and he cried out and he said these words, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given for Jesus had not yet been glorified. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, if you're thirsty, if, if you find that the world, the wells of this world that can hold no water, they're broken cisterns. If you realize that you are empty and you will come to me, you will never thirst again. What I am offering you can absolutely transform you. It can satisfy the deepest longings in your soul. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can provide that. And so he's saying, if you're thirsty, then come to me. Let me ask you a question this morning. As Jesus is hanging on the cross saying, I thirst, I wonder if you could say, I thirst, I thirst for him. Do you have a thirst for God? 
Do you have a desire for more of him? Do you have the heart of the psalmist that said, as the deer pants at the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. Are you thirsty for him? You remember Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 55, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. It's an invitation. If you're thirsty, if you've been drinking from the wells of this world and you realize I am not satisfied, Jesus says, come, whoever you are, whatever your situation, whatever your background, whatever your sin, whatever you're into, come and drink freely. It reminds me of a song that I learned as a young boy. The lyrics were as follows. Jesus said, come to the water and stand by my side. I know you are thirsty. You won't be denied. I felt every teardrop when in darkness you cried and I strove to remind you that for those tears I died. Have you come to the water? Have you drank deeply of what Jesus provides? What an amazing thing to think that Jesus had to be thirsty so that our thirst could be quenched in him. In the midst of his agony, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his separation from his father, Jesus made a sixth statement found in John chapter 19, verse 30, and it is probably one of the most important statements in all of the Bible. And it was this, it is finished. The Greek phrase is te telestai, and it means paid in full. In the Greco-Roman culture, te telestai could be used in different ways. For example, an artist, after he had painted his masterpiece, could announce that the picture is perfect. Te telestai, it's finished, it's done, it's complete. And here is Jesus hanging upon the cross, the master artist and declaring from the cross the picture of salvation that has been drawn from eternity past, was always perfect, but now it's complete. This is it. The final strokes have been made. This is the picture of salvation. This is the picture of redemption. It's finished. This phrase could also be used of a servant who could confidently say, te telestai to his master when his work was complete. Here is Jesus, the suffering servant, finishing and completing the work that his father had given him to complete. And he could say boldly and triumphantly, it's done. It's finished. A soldier could also use this phrase when he had defeated his enemy. He could say, you are finished or te telestai. It is done, finished, complete. And Jesus' cry from the cross was not one of despair or defeat. It was one of victory. Jesus was saying to the enemy, it's finished, it's done, it's complete. There's nothing you can do to add to the finished work of Christ. It is finished. Paid in full. Nothing more needs to be done. Such sweet words, and so very true. You have the Lord's word on it. This is A Daily Walk, and Pastor John Randall is at the tail end of a study in Luke's Gospel. You can order a CD copy of this message by calling 877-242-0828. You can also listen to our recent programs on our website at adailywalk.org. We also offer John's teachings by podcast, and we have an app, too. To get our app, do a search for Calvary South OC. I should also mention John is on Twitter and Instagram. You can start following him on Twitter at pjrandall7. 
and on Instagram at John P. Randall. With all that's been going on in the Middle East and Israel, many are inquiring about end times Bible prophecy. And we want to get a good book into your hands on this subject from our friend Barry Stagner. It's The Time of the Signs, a chronology of Earth's final events. When the disciples asked Jesus how to anticipate his return, he gave them an incredible answer that we stand to benefit from. They asked him about the signs of his coming and the end times. What should they expect to take place? In The Time of the Signs, Barry Stagner explores the events that will precede Jesus' return. We'll send it to you for the special price of $12. Call us at 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Thank you for your prayerful and financial support of A Daily Walk. It really is having an impact. With your help, we're able to reach thousands with the truth and love of Christ at a time they really need to hear it. If you'd like to donate to the ministry, please go to adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. And you know, we are very grateful to the Lord when we hear back from our listeners. Write to Pastor John today by email at adailywalk at gmail.com. He loves to read listener letters and emails. Let him know what's going on in your life and how we can pray for you at adailywalk at gmail.com. Maybe you're one of our new listeners. Let us know what you think of A Daily Walk when you write to us at adailywalk at gmail.com. Well, that'll do it for this edition of A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. May God richly bless you and strengthen you in your daily walk. Join us next time as we continue our journey through the Bible. This program is brought to you by Calvary South OC and made possible through the support of our listeners.